welcome to another episode of the James Inc. Podcast. Today we are very excited to have Amber England, the campaign director for Yes on 802 on the podcast, to talk to us about State Question 802 and how passing it could make, can make a huge difference in the life of so many Oklahomans. She also talks about her past work and politics, why she cares so much, and ways we can all get engaged, and most importantly, ways we can help get 802 passed later this month. Elisa and I jump right into the interview, so we don't introduce ourselves, but I think at this point you know who we both are. So, enjoy. Well, Amber, thank you for doing this for us. Absolutely. What I really uh, want to have you discuss today is 802 and your work with 802 and how we can help you to push forward that work. Sure. So for nearly a decade, politicians in Oklahoma City have failed to expand Medicaid, which would give health care to almost 200,000 Oklahomans who don't have it now. And also at the same time, bring back over a billion dollars of our taxpayer money home from Washington, D.C. every single year. State Question 802 was really born out of frustration of Oklahoma voters because politicians had failed to act for too long. They were tired of seeing their neighbors, friends, and family members go without the care that they needed. And so in April of 2019, a coalition of concerned Oklahomans came together and filed an initiative petition to get Medicaid expansion on the ballot to finally be able to let Oklahomans decide this issue for themselves. And so what that means is the Oklahoma Constitution allows for folks who care to change their government, to do that through the initiative petition process. It's something that our founders felt to be very important check on power in the state of Oklahoma, but they don't don't make it easy. So we had 90 days. Once we were cleared for our first legal challenge, we got sued from a far right-wing organization who does not believe that people should get health care. There's just a fundamentally ideological difference there. They sued trying to keep us off the ballot. The Supreme Court immediately rejected it. In fact, the exact same day that the arguments were heard in front of the Supreme Court justices here in Oklahoma, they threw it out and and let us go forward. So then we had 90 days to collect 178,000 signatures. Um, And we actually almost doubled that in just under 90 days. We got 313,000 signatures from every county in the state. And that was a record for a number of signatures turned in for an initiative petition. So now you are the the actual campaign manager. And tell us a little bit about your background and your experience in, in managing a campaign such as this. Yeah, well, I it's interesting. I actually got into politics at a very young age. I had a grandmother who was very, very interested in politics And so actually she was my great grandmother. And when I would go to her house, I would just kind of watch her talk about politics. She watched C-SPAN all the time. She listened to the Oklahoma Observer and, or she, she subscribed to the Oklahoma Observer newspaper. And then when people would run for office in this tiny little town that she lived in in Hilton, they would always come to our family reunions because we had such a big family and she, she was set, everyone knew that she was into politics. So 
they would come to our family reunion because they knew if they could get Mary Pearl's vote, then, you know, the rest of the family would go. <laughs> so just that, that sort of seed was planted in me early. And then when I was in mid high school, I paged at the Capitol for a state representative. And then at my freshman year of high school and was serving in student council. And, and so kind of sort of knew what politics looked like at, at that very micro level in high school. And so then I actually worked, I volunteered on that state representative's campaign after I paged for him because I was very inspired by not him in particular, but just the process. And I thought he was doing a good job. And so I volunteered on his campaign. And so he had me back again the next year to, to page again. And then once I got out of college and that we obviously graduated, went to college. And when I, when I got out of college, I started working at as a local newspaper as a, as a journalist covering county government. And so I was actually able in some city government on a very, very small level of, you know, small rural Oklahoma towns. And so it, it, it all made sense to me about where systems were broken, where things need needed, where we needed to make improvement. And so I found a job at the state Senate and I, I went on to the staff there as a communications assistant, worked my way up to the communications press secretary for the pro tem of the Oklahoma state Senate, but really in 2010 was ready to, to branch out and stop working for a particular party or a particular Senator and really work for causes that I cared about. And so I started with the Oklahoma Institute for child advocacy and then went to stand for children where I ran a statewide ballot measure to try to increase funding to education and give teachers a pay raise. We, we came up short in 2016 on that, on that statewide, on that state question, but we ultimately won. We won, we, we might've lost that battle, but we did ultimately win the larger conversation because what, what was born out of that loss was a, a movement where the teacher walkout happened and then that they ultimately passed a teacher pay raise and the largest investment in schools. And so I was able to see firsthand the importance of using your voice for change. And so when this opportunity came around, I was just thrilled to get to get asked to run the campaign because I'm very passionate about healthcare personally. And obviously, I think, you know, two of them, two of the most important things um, that I've been able to work on is uh, public education and, and health. But I honestly believe that your health is really the foundation for which the rest of your life sits. And so if you can't be healthy, it's very hard to be successful in other, other aspects of your life. It's hard to be a good parent. It's mm -hmm. hard to be a good wife. It's hard to be a good friend. It's hard to hold down a, a good paying job. And if you have stress and you're worried about how am I going to pay my medical bills versus how am I going to put food on the table? you know, that's just hard. And so I fundamentally believe that this will be one of the, the, the greatest impacts that we can make on, on creating a healthier Oklahoma. I think there are tons of other issues that need, need fixing. Don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. but I do believe that for my career and where I'm standing right now, this will be, I think one of the, be, one of the most impactful things I'll ever be able to work on. And I'm just honored to do it. That that's fantastic. I happen to know that you went on the twenty one city <laughs> tour in four days a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Uh, to to a person like me, that sounds completely insane and yet absolutely fun. 
as all get out, can you tell us a little bit about the people who you've encountered, this 200,000 people who are without health care insurance and, and what they look like? Elisa, they look a lot like me and you, right? I mean, they're just ordinary Oklahomans who are just trying to make ends meet. Some of them, many of them are working two jobs, probably in jobs that don't offer health insurance. Specifically, I, I recall someone that I met on the campaign a few months ago, and I, I haven't really been able to stop thinking about her. So her name is Angie. She works at a coffee shop and at a local running store here in Oklahoma City. She works six days a week. She takes one day off a week on Sundays. She says she wants to go running. She, has a, she likes to do her long run on Sunday morning and go to church. So she takes Sunday off. But other than that, she's working six days a week and she can't afford health care. Well, the other day she, or I guess it's been a few months ago now, she was um, having some chest pains. She's in her 30s. So she's not, you know, obviously this is not someone that's, you know, older person who has had lifelong problems. I mean, she's a young person, but she's having some chest pains and she didn't have insurance. So she didn't call the ambulance and obviously didn't have a primary care doctor to even call. Uh, because she doesn't have insurance. So she doesn't go to the doctor. So she literally Googled, am I having a heart attack to see what the symptoms were were for a heart attack? And then just went to bed and said, I'm just going to sleep it off and hopefully everything will be better in the morning. Well, for that, that's one person that I can tell you about. And so there are hundreds of thousands of, of Angie's across the state of Oklahoma who have to, if they have internet, Google Am Mm -hmm. I having a heart attack before they go to bed? And that's just unconscionable to me. Mm -hmm. It's not the Oklahoma way. And I think that the single greatest thing that we can do to these folks who are trying to just live their everyday life, but are worried about getting sick is to, to pass state question 802, to give them um, the opportunity to get the healthcare they need to get well. Amber, as I'm sitting here listening to you, it occurs to me that we can share this information with your network, but more than likely your network is aware of the issue. Who do we need to continue to tell this message? Who who is the who are the people who really don't get it that we still need to start talking about this issue too? You know, that's such a great question. And and it's it's one of these things that I think is for me it's the next it's the next great question I want to try to solve in terms of like participation in voting and people a lot of times don't vote because they don't care. They don't vote because they're too busy or you know, they they can't get off on election day to go vote or they're just busy living their life. This is something that I eat, breathe, and sleep every day. And so, of course, I'm aware of when every election day happens. I know exactly what the laws are around voting. But if you think about a family who's working two jobs, a single mom, perhaps, who's, you know, working to try to put foot on the table for her, her family, she's not necessarily thinking about when is the next election and what's all on the ballot. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like, Mm -hmm. We have to do a better job of reaching people where they are 
and, and reaching out to people who this, this actually will, you know, impact instead of having this, you know, conversation sort of in an echo chamber of people who are already supportive and know about it. And so, you know, getting the, and so, and we, we rely on people like you, Elisa, to help us, right? So nonprofit leaders, people who are out in the community on the front lines of this fight to talk to their constituents about this and, you know, bringing me on this podcast today to talk about this is great. And then obviously the, the conference that you did last week, but working people across this state who may not know that there's an election on June 30th, it's really important that they, you know, that we try to reach out to them in the, in the best way possible to get them this information. So what would you say to someone who, you, when you try to argue with them about this, they are just against it. What is the argument they would give me? Play the devil's advocate for me here. Oh man, you're just making me repeat a negative that I know I'm not supposed to. That's like a terrible thing to do in politics. But I suppose the opposition might try to say, we can't afford to do this. It's going to cost the state too much money. And what I would say to that is that Oklahomans are tired of the fear tactics around this issue. So they know exactly that it's not only the right thing to do, but economically it's fiscally responsible. So, you know, this is a, this is an instance where we can actually bring home tax dollars, provide healthcare to our folks here across the state, while also creating thousands of healthcare jobs across the state. So 27,000 jobs is what this state question will create in jobs wise. And so it's just that argument that we can't afford it is nothing more than a fear tactic and a scare tactic told mainly by people who never wanted to, you know, never thought this was a good idea to begin with, right? So if they have a better plan, it's not out there. And again, it's nothing more than fear tactics because I can make an economic argument for this. I can make a moral argument for this. But in general, that we've been talking about this for 10 years almost. And so I think people, their minds are pretty well made up about this. I think one of the problems that we're having more than anything is mostly related to the pandemic, right? And it's around voting and do people feel safe to go vote on election day? Where are the polling locations going to be? And so we've been telling everybody, go to okvoter.com and fill out for an absentee ballot, you're still going to have to get it. Yeah, you're still going to have to probably get it notarized or, or, or send in a copy of your photo ID or your voter ID card. But if you're scared to go to the polls, that's absolutely a way to do it. But now more than ever, we really have to help people think through, do you have a plan to go vote? What is your plan to go vote? What time are you going to go voting? Do you know that if you're in, you know, if you're in line by 7 p.m., even though polls close at 7, if you're in line, you could still vote. Stay in line and vote. So these are these are the things we're thinking about. And obviously that's keeping me up at night right now in terms of what is the task in front of me for the next three weeks. Yeah. And again, when I when I uh, what I alluded to earlier on on different things that need to change, like making it easier to vote in Oklahoma is definitely one of those things that we need to bring to people's attention because it isn't it's far easier to to vote by mail and expanded early vote vote hours. So we'll see that that's a a big unknown for this election. We've been telling everybody go to okvoter.com and that actually redirects you to the state voter portal and it has the most up-to-date information about where your polling location is. But just having folks like think through like making a plan to vote, right? So if you're not going to vote by absentee, what is your plan? And so I've already thought about my own plan and I know I'm going to be really busy on election day. 
because of running the campaign. And so I plan to get up early and be at the polls when they open at 7 a.m., right? And so I know exactly where my polling location is for now. I'm going to double check it the week before to make certain I know. But I'm going to get up. I'm going to eat breakfast. I'm going to get my daughter dressed. I'm going to take her to vote. Ever since she was born in September of 2018, she hasn't missed an election. I take her every time. And so we'll get up and we can actually walk to the polls. It's not far from, from where I live. And so I'll put her in her stroller. We're going to walk to the, uh, to the, the, to our polling location. We're going to cast her about, and then we're going to go home and then I'm going to take her to, to parents day out. So that's, you know, that's the plan I have, but I, I encourage everybody to think about, you know, what does election day look like to you? And if you're working really, you know, if, if you're working um, on election day, you're working a 12 hour shift and polls are going to be closed by the time you get off, like, can you vote early? You can do that Thursday, Friday, Saturday at your local county election board, but you can go to yeson802.org backslash vote, and you can find the information there, everything you need to know about the different ways you can vote for state question 802. I want to revisit or transition to the clients that I particularly serve. And as you mentioned earlier, we we have been talking about 802 since late early last fall, and we've had you on our Summer Parent Academy, as well as Jocelyn Payne, who came in and discussed, you know, what you need to do to vote. We have a young lady from the League of Women Voters who's coming this week, so we're completely trying to get the message out. However, in debriefing with our young people, it does surprise me that their main concerns are we don't even know when to vote that i mean it it feels as if having a firm grasp on state election versus local elections and when they occur and who who's got, who are we voting on what do they stand for where do we find out all of this information and don't even talk about voting for judges you know it's just like oh my god we vote for judges really i didn't know that you how do we do a better job of preparing the young people to be able to vote or to vote? So I I think this is a very complicated answer, but I think that, I mean, there, there are organizations out there that are in existence right now to try to help with that. So obviously the League of Women Voters, they really try to think through, you know, educating people about what's on the ballot. But again, you know, a civics 101 series for for your constituents there that you're working with you know is probably a great idea obviously the state election board website has all of the um dates for elections on their election board you can sign up to be a permanent absentee voter so the great one of the good things about Oklahoma voting law which there aren't very many but one of the good things is we have a no excuse absentee ballot policy, which which just means you don't have to provide an excuse as to why you want to vote by absentee. If you if you want to vote by absentee, you can. And so just getting those mailed to you ahead of time, you know, just signing up to be a permanent absentee voter can help because you don't have to know when election days are. They're going to send you those out prior to the vote. So the Oklahoma Election Board website um, is you know, a decent place to know about when elections happen. 
but I, but I think it's, it's, a, it's more, it's, it's creating more opportunities for people to understand how, you know, municipal government, state government, um, and federal government works and, and how your participation in it is key. I think so many people, it doesn't, so when I was at Stand for Children, which was an organization dedicated to erasing the education gap for traditionally uh, kids, uh, kids of color and, and low income children. And so what we found is uh, we did a parent university, very similar to what you did, uh, Alisa, on your two day workshop, but we did, we called Stand Stand Parent University and it, it was a six week program. So we met once a week for six weeks and walked through the curriculum was really about, you know, what is creating a healthy learning environment at home look like? Do you have a kitchen table? If you don't, can you create a little corner in the home to, for kids to do their homework on? I mean, and what we found is like, oftentimes parents just don't have the information. It's not that they don't want to be engaged in their child's education. It's that they literally didn't have the information. And so I think, I think it's up to all of us who are in leadership positions and working with kids and working with youth to think about how can we present civics in a way that is um, digestible and fun. I mean, I took a civics class in eighth grade and that was the end of it, right? Like you have to have a government credit to graduate high school, but that's not civics. That's learning about the history or, you know, and how government works. But I think there's a, an organization out there now called Generation Citizen that there's like action civics and they're working directly with young people and, and helping them think through, you know, I went through a leader, a young leader, young leader, Norman young leadership class when I was a sophomore in high school. But again, it's limited, you know, they select so many kids out of the sophomore class. So it's not accessible to, to as many kids as, as it needs to be. In fact, like I would argue one of the things that we should probably push for is, you know, a policy that requires some sort of action civics class to graduate high school, because I, that's not a requirement. Government is, but an action civics class, I think you take it in eighth grade. Uh, I don't want to speak out of turn here, but I think, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, you go where the, where the folks are who need this education the most. And so, you know, if public school is the place where, where that, that happens, then what can public schools do to do this? And then what are after-school programs doing? What are places like James Inc. doing? And folding that into your curriculum over time, I think is going to be key. But it's not an easy, it's not an easy answer. Mm, absolutely. I, I was not aware of the permanent absentee ballot. I think that's a fantastic opportunity. However, when I think about my client base, they are so transient. Yes. Um, that although a good suggestion isn't the best alternative for them, are there any discussions taking place about those communications coming out electronically? They tend to respond obviously more to electronic communication and they also are doing really well for us in this, in this environment, in this electronic environment. What are the conversations around how we speak to young people or how we communicate with young people? What conversations are taking place? 
Yeah. So, you know, just on this campaign on 802 specifically, we found that traditionally we would do door knocking and phone calls to reach out to voters, but now we're actually using text message. So we're finding that people respond way better to a text message. But I, but I think in general, if you're thinking about like, are there ways that organizations are reaching out specifically to try to turn out young voters, get them registered to vote? There is a, I, I think, a void of, of that in our state. And I think nationally, there are organizations that are tackling this and thinking through it. And I think that we're, we're, we find pockets of it here in Oklahoma. But I think, again, we need to do a better job. So if I think about some of the national, you remember, I mean, when I was, a, when I was younger, Rock the Vote was a big thing MTV did to reach young people. And, you know, they had, they had big rallies where they'd bring in like concerts. They do concerts. Young people come to concerts. They get them registered to vote. Talk to them about that. I think Represent Us is an organization. I think it's like represent.us is an organization that's really dedicated to helping people understand the voting process better. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, different organizations that, that do that. But really, in general, in Oklahoma, we need to do a better job of talking to young folks long before it's time to ask them to go vote next Tuesday, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, that's hard. How do, how do you collect the uh, numbers in order to set up your text distribution list? And is there a way that we can communicate how they can get on this list through our social media? Yeah, so if you go to yeson802.org, and I think if you go there, it'll teach you, it'll say like, get involved or, or something. There's a large get involved button right at the front there. Yeah. And so when you say join the vault movement, when you say get involved, when you click on that, it'll take you to a page and it asks you for your email address, phone number, zip code, and how you would like to get involved. So that's one of the ways we do it. Any event that we do, we're obviously getting people to sign up so that we can uh, communicate with them once we leave. Uh, and so like, you know, as a campaign, we may start out with an email list of, you know, let's say 10 people. And then by the time it's over, we'll have tons of emails and tons of cell phone numbers that people have said, yeah, let me be involved in, in the campaign. But I think in terms of, you know, infrastructure long-term, because, you know, what happens when 802 is over, you know, exactly. who's going to continue this conversation? And I think that it is important that we think about, well, well what is it that, and, and you know, Politics and, and political operatives think about their job is to win an election. And so they look at traditionally who goes votes on election day, and that's who they talk to. Because from a standpoint of a finite resource, they'd much rather spend their time talking to someone they know has a good vote history and will go vote than trying to spend you know, their limited resources talking to folks who don't have a good history of voting. And so some somewhere there there's there is a need for an influx of resources to help increase. I think that 100% this movement that's happening across the country right now with what happened uh, to George uh, Floyd and, and just the, the Black Lives Matter movement that's happening across the country, I hope uh, that, that we can harness that energy and say, what is a way that you can tangibly, you know, make a difference to, to, to sort of start to try to break down just and change these systemic 
problems of our country is the vote, right? And so Stacey Abrams, specifically in Georgia, is doing a great job of communicating that out right now. And so I'm so hopeful in, in, a, in a world where it's just terrible news all the time and, and very sad news. I think what does give me hope is these protests across the country are being led largely by young people who I think are really poised for greatness to come out of this and to, to really use their voice and to, you know, to get more young people involved to go to the polls because who we vote for for district attorney and who we vote for for city council and who we vote for for mayor matters to all the th- all the things that that we're pro- you know we're protesting for right now specifically you know with healthcare if i think about why 802 is important i can tell you that right now so black workers are 60% more likely to be uninsured than white workers and so if i think about well what is in front of me immediately that i can do specifically I can vote yes on 802, right, to to make a definite impact in systems of inequality that have happened across this country for years. That's one thing that I can do to make a difference in trying to break down these barriers. And I think that those are conversations that we're going to continue to need to have going forward as we come out of all this. And again, it's the young people that are out leading this movement right now and, and, and fighting and you know, fighting hard to have their voices heard. And I'm, I've just been so inspired over the last week, just watching the movement and not just in this country, but across the world. It's, it's long past time for us to be having these conversations, but I hope what comes out of these conversations are actions like, you know, more, more young people voting, more, you know, more people being aware that, you know, election days matter and elections, um, Elections can have um, both good and bad outcomes. And so we've got to, we've got to really, every time there's an opportunity vote, we got to do it. And listening to you, I have been scribbling notes and we do uh, monthly lunch and learns. And I think part of what we'll do is to continue to expand those lunch and learns and to invite those political figures to come on via Zoom and have discussions with our young families. And we can set all of these things up, but we still have to get the young people engaged. And that's not just about politics. And and I mean, those who, who aren't naturally engaged. Sure. Those who have been, for whatever reason, have the opinion that none of this matters. Well, that's I think that's the harder thing, right? Because people are so rightfully so, dis, they're disengaged because they feel powerless. Exactly. They've seen too many things not change in their lifetime, in their young lifetime, or in their old lifetime. They've seen, um, and they feel powerless. And I would say that what I love about politics is that you do feel like you have some control when you are involved in trying to change things. So I can say that after election night of 2016, after I had just poured my heart and soul into a state question that failed on election night, the very next day, someone who was involved in the campaign sent me a text message and he said, Amber, it was the right fight. We're not going to lose this long term, but you know, you were in the arena trying to create the change. And so I think 
some type of message to these folks who do feel powerless and, and don't feel like their voice matters. We've got to do a better job of, of making it easier to get involved. I often joke, I don't know if you've ever been to the, the state capitol, Lisa, but oftentimes when you go there, people are dressed to the nines. They're in business suits. They're, you know, it, it's a very intimidating environment to walk into if you are just random Joe on the street who wants to try to figure out how to get involved. And it feels like it is like that for a reason because they want it to be an exclusive club. Mm -hmm. and so I've often joked like, I'm going to wear my yoga pants and ball cap when I do this kind of work because people need to know it's not intimidating and it's just ordinary average people can get involved. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you think about marginalized communities who getting just a business suit or professional attire to go to the Capitol is a, is a barrier right there. So it's like, who cares? Go in your jeans and t-shirt. Like that should be acceptable. And so it's just those little tiny things that I think that we need to do people who already work within the system. If we're setting different norms than this very exclusive stuffy thing that happens because people, I think, would be less intimidated to get involved. I agree with you 100%. Our first office was in the downtown mid-continent tower, and it was perfect as long as there were only the few of us who worked in the office coming in and out of the building. But to try to get a young person to come downtown, find parking, and then walk into this iconic structure like the mid-continent tower where everyone has on their, their business attire and they have on their um, business face, it, it's very intimidating. So I completely get that. And I find myself dressing down all the time because if I dress up, then my young people, I lose my credibility with my young people. I become this image of success and I really am not giving them the true picture of the warts and wrinkles that successful people hide behind their masks. So I, I get that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting you bring this up because I, in college, I worked um, as an after-school program coordinator in a housing project in East Tennessee. And I drove a semi, like in college, like right before, like my, just before my senior year, I got a brand new car that my, both my folks decided they would use my child support check in order to help pay. And then I would get a job and pay for the rest. And so it was a, it was like a Pontiac Sunbird, you know, fairly, it was like two or three years old. And, and of course I was, so I would go to, to my work and these kids just were like not connecting with me. They were very, they very distrustful of me, wouldn't open up. And part of my job, literally, like my job was through communities and schools, was like, let's do this. My job was to like, give them a healthy snack every day and a safe place to do their homework and try to try to deliver some sort of like drug-free message plan to them. That was, that was it. And I was having such a hard time breaking through to these kids because they were like, and, and finally one of the little boys said like, well, you're, you're just some rich white woman. Why, why do you care? You're, you're going to be gone in a month, right? And um, that stuck with me for, to this day. And so it's like, 
these kids needed me to come in and be a mentor to them. And, and, and my brand new car was, was a barrier to that as well as, you know, my attire. And so I started doing things like I, I took them to the, the local university I was working at as a field trip. I brought them to my, I worked as a lifeguard um, at this, at the school at a, a pool in town. And I, I would take them in groups to, to the pool and let them hang out with me. So, I mean, I went out of my way to try to make them feel more comfortable, but it was interesting to me that it was the car that they were like, eh, you're, 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 you're not interested in helping us. We've seen this before and I've made it long-term. I've made it a goal to try to keep in touch with these kids. You know, I mean, they're, they're adults now and have kids of their own. But when I, when I go back to Johnson city, I'm, I'm friends with many of them on Facebook, but you really do have to build relationships It is, um, it, and it's long-term. It doesn't happen overnight. And it's, it's really, really, it's hard, but it's, it's so important. Absolutely. I'm also thinking of thinking through my list of partner agencies, agencies like Children's First, agencies like Strong Tomorrow's and Modus. And I'm going to be sending out emails around what are you doing to encourage the young people that you serve to vote. We definitely, our summer our summer parent academy that you were participated in last week, it's a 16-day experience. So we have reached out to as many of those agencies in order to invite their people to, to the meetings. But until you have real relationship, that's, that's difficult. But I will be asking them, especially MODIS, if they will be available to provide transportation to the polls for our young families. That's one small thing that I can do. That's actually right. And it's so funny because campaigns will, will will advertise, if you need a ride to the poll, contact us and we'll let you know. Nobody reaches out. Nobody calls on election day and says, I need a ride to the polls. You know why? They don't have a relationship with us, right? And so if, if an organization does have a relationship in those communities, like, that's, you know, that's, that's who they're going to feel comfortable reaching out to. And, and we can do all the outreach, you know, in the world, but I think that's, that's a great thing for you to do is thinking about that. I mean, cause you know, like we're a campaign staff of seven and thinking about all the different communities across the state, all the, t- I mean, you know, it's just for us to have these, you know, law, these relationships with every single community where people would feel comfortable calling and saying, Hey, I need a ride to the polls. Like these campaigns do rely on those, you know, our organizational partners to help with that. And so that is one thing that we will be asking of organizations moving forward for the election is, you know, do you have an apparatus to help folks, you know, give rides to the polls or help them think through their voting plans? So with, three-ish weeks before uh, the election. What can people do between now and June 30th to make sure that state question AO2 passes? Well, I think it's, you know, on a, obviously voting is the number one thing they can do, right? Make a plan to vote and make certain if you're going to vote by absentee that you request it online. And then if you are planning to vote early that you know exactly where the county election board is, you know what times that you can do that. And then if you're voting on election day, make certain you have a plan for that too. And you can always go to our website, yes on 802.org backslash vote. 
what what can people do between now and the end of the month to vote? And she she covered pretty much everything, which is great. Like, yeah, vote. I realize now I've, I've signed up for an absentee ballot for all future elections, which I guess I'll have to go in and change later because I would like to go vote in person at some point, hopefully in the future when that's when that's yeah. safer. Yeah, you you can and you can change that too. You even even if you've already said you want to be a permanent absentee voter, you can change that. We're we're actually thinking through it. We on our staff call today, we were like, wow, you know, we probably need to make some sort of video about how to vote by mail. But we obviously we don't want to make it seem or sound harder than it actually is. And so thinking through what does that communication look like? This has actually been studied. There's nonprofits that study voting behavior and voting communication and how to how to communicate to voters because if you make it too complicated folks will just be like I'm done not even going to try but if you don't explain it to them then they'll say well I didn't you know I didn't understand and rightfully so so there's an art in this so they call it political science there is a science it's it's both a science and an art so we're thinking we these are all things we're thinking not thinking about in the campaign right now I think um, obviously we will be talking to people about state question 02 from now to election day telling them why it's important but really what everybody can do that's already knowing already knows they're going to support 802 is really making that plan to go vote on election day or by absentee or voting early. If you could get all those volunteers who were getting the signatures for 802, like out there, because I got, I got asked about 15 times to sign. I was like, I've already signed it. Like every library, every restaurant. It was great. I was like, I mean, I gave, I gave them all a high five back when we were allowed to do that. Um, Yeah. Well, we're, we're just getting ready to ramp up. You know, we, the, the, the pandemic pushed everything online for a while, but we are going to be doing some contactless get out the vote effort where we'll be hanging a door hanger on people's doors to let them know about the election. And so we will be signing up volunteers for those shifts, taking, you know, two hour shifts to go do that. But that that's our last kind of big volunteer push, but um, it, it's been incredible to, to connect with people. It's the part of the job that I love the most is out talking to normal people about why this, why this is, is important. I worked as a, a lobbyist, you know, with, with the various organizations I worked for and I hated it. <laughs> that was the part of the job I hated the most was going and talking um, to lawmakers and, and other stuffy, s- stuffy headed people at the Capitol. I would much rather be talking to normal everyday people about how they can use their, vo- their voice for change. Well, Elisa, what else, what else do we have to ask her? The day after the vote. Mm-hmm. What are you gonna do? I'm gonna take a long nap. <laughs> um, I'm I'm gonna take a long nap. Hopefully, obviously, election night. Depending on how it goes, my goal is if we win to take a long nap, and if we if we lose or 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 somehow need to do some sort of recount, I'll, I'll obviously be thinking about what what we can do different, but. I'm hopeful that I'll be able to just to take a long nap. But then it's one of those things where you can't rest long because there's way too much work ahead of us. And so I will take a, a, a nice little respite and then I'll get back to work because there's just too much, too much that needs to change for normal people, everyday people in this state to have a healthy, productive lives. And I want to be a part of that change. It's in my DNA and it's what I do. So that's what I'll do. Well, Amber, thank you so much. Yes, thank I, you. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your work and your willingness to come and talk to our young people and to be on this podcast. We need each other. 
James is here and available to help in any way that we can to be a part of the work and to be a part of the change that we want to see. Our tagline is, it's never too late to be who you want, who you might have been. So our goal is to work with these young people and help them to become productive and and self-sufficient young people. And you are a huge part of our work and your contributions we can't even begin to measure. So, so thank you. Thank you. Thank well, thank you. you. I'm, I'm inspired by your work and, and want to stay connected to the organization long-term and, and can continue to, to help, help you navigate all this change and, and think through that. So obviously you, you have my phone number and know how to get in touch with me. Both of my sisters were teen moms. And so I, I definitely understand the challenges um, and also 100% know the reward. So it's a mission that's near and dear to my heart and personal to me. So please reach out whenever. Thank you. Don't forget to check our show notes for the links that Amber mentioned in this podcast. And of course, please subscribe and even give a rating to the James Inc. Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find our podcast anywhere. I promise you. And please, please stay safe out there and don't forget to vote.